I'm Brent Feldman, and we're here with another episode of Mix and Matchbox. Today, we have Tyler Doyle from TBD Naming joining us. Hey, Tyler, how's it going? Hey, best day ever. How you doing? Uh, doing really well. Uh, definitely. Thank you so much for uh, being on the, the podcast today. Uh, really looking forward to jumping in and talking about all the stuff here. Uh, I've known you for for a little bit and uh, know that that you are a uh, a naming person. I, I would I would apply <laughs> guru or something like that to it, but uh, I'm sure that that's probably not something you're asking for. But at the same time, uh, I know you do naming, uh, and and I have lots of questions for you. So are you ready to jump in? Yeah, let's jump in. I think my 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 the noun that I go with is consultant. I think uh, guru guru is hard to live up to. Yeah, know? I'm not I'm not wise. I just I just do a lot of naming. So uh, yeah, let's jump in. Let's do it. Awesome. Well, cool. Uh, as naming is kind of you know it's 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 very it's an interesting you know thing to do for people to apply names to things, brands, products, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, what what did you do in school that actually you know kind of brought you to this career? Yeah, I I did just about everything in school. I before I went to college, I knew I wanted to play French horn for a living, which was insane. Uh, and then right before I went to college, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. That's insane. Playing dead white guy music for the rest of my life doesn't feel like a good <laughs> career choice. And so when I went to school, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I tried a bunch of different majors. I think I declared seven different times. Um, and so at the end of my junior year, I enrolled in an English class after trying really hard never to do that. And and so I did the entire creative writing major in, in basically a year and a third um and graduated with a creative writing degree um because clearly that was a better career choice than uh than than music uh i think it was the only thing that i was really cut out to do honestly is the the reason i ended up doing it there it, it was it was the only part of school that didn't feel like school so i lucked out there for sure that's awesome uh well and you know as far as like in a you know a, a you know doing this for like you know a living um, mm -hmm. it's funny. I, I just recently read this book, um, the practice, uh, by Seth Godin, and it's about shipping creative work. Uh, I think that's actually like the subtitle of it. Anyway, it's, uh, it's really, it's a great book, a uh, whole bunch of like, you know, really, you know, simple kind of affirmations about, you know, uh, getting through uh, a creative process that, you know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of diligence really associated with, with creative work. It's not necessarily some, you know, sort of, uh, you know, epiphany that always happens it's really something that you have to kind of work at so um you know do you think that's true uh and do you have a method about doing your work yeah for sure i think the the eureka moment is is probably the most pervasive um story that people have in their own heads about how naming works right you you go and you go and you go until you find the one and that's happened um, in, in the hundreds of naming projects that I've done. Uh, it's happened once. So it's, yeah, I think it's it's possible and it can happen. It, it happens if it's one person, right? As soon as there are two people, you can't share a Eureka moment. Uh, and it happens if you have a really clear idea of what, what you're up to and what you're naming. That that project was a really cool one. It was, um, I was naming a brewery in San Francisco for a guy. And... Um, he was a he was a chemist actually originally by trade. He was he had his PhD in chemistry and was taking these really classic beer styles, and just putting a little tweak on them. Um, and so we were going to present this name, Standard Deviation Brewing, to him because it combined this idea of sort of um, you know a scientific method with with, a, with the idea of a tweak. 
But um, right before the meeting, I was like, I told my boss, I was like, hey, we should change this to standard deviant. So we did. So we presented standard deviant to him and he bought it on the spot. And that's uh, that's the only time that that's ever happened, right? That where there's like this one moment that I can pinpoint and say like, I created the name that became the name and it was awesome. Most of the time, uh, that idea of a eureka moment is actively harmful to a naming process because you butt up against the wall so many times of things like trademark and, and, and web availability, right? So like, if you go one at a time, you have to create the name, go check it out online and then ask a lawyer about it. And at the end of that, more often than not, you're going to hear back. No, it's not clear. You have to start over. And so you get this, this circus almost of, of, of those three steps over and over and over again. And you get this emotional whiplash and things get really gnarly. It's, it's really hard to stay positive and feel like you're getting the very best name if that keeps happening to you over and over again. Um, and so, yeah, my process is, is more of a sort of mass production approach. So, um, it's about creating hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of names all at once, um, checking those out, narrowing the aperture, and then and then getting to a to a smaller and smaller list based on what's getting through um, you know web and legal availability. Um, so that's that's like the I guess that's the, the the process as it relates to epiphanies. There are a million other things that I could talk about when it comes to process because I'm such a huge nerd about that stuff, and it it's super interesting to me. I don't. I don't know how interesting it is to your to your listeners, but um, yeah, I could go on and on about that. Do do they always do they pick the one you like, or do they tend to pick one <laughs> that you're like, oh, that wasn't my favorite? <laughs> yeah, almost never. In fact, I I used to tell people which one was my favorite, and I could see in their eyes how much it hurt them to tell tell me that they didn't like my favorite name. But it happened like every time. I think I have really weird taste, actually, right? Because I look at look at names all day and think about names all day so that i need stuff that's a little bit different from the average person so most of the time that i'm that i'm creating lists i'm actually calibrating based on what i think someone will like rather than what i necessarily love um so yeah that's cool um you know as there are absolutely a myriad of brands and products and names out there uh is there anything that you can like you know maybe point to and say I think that's a good name, you know, and, and, and really for what reason? Yeah, this is such a cool question. It's, it's something that gets harder and harder to answer as I learn more about naming. I think the more, the more that I learn, the less I think I know, um, right. When it comes to saying whether a name's good or whether there are really well-named brands out there, I think there are a lot of ways to tell that a business is good rather than a business's name. Right. And often those two things, go together right like i think a lot of the reason that people think apple is a good name is just because it's the most valuable brand in the world um and they've been exposed to it so many times it is a good name still but um telling folks what a good business looks like is pretty easy telling folks what a good name looks like is is really hard i think it, it depends on the the situation and um i guess the consulting answer is is that is, is pretty boring it's like it depends but what i mean what about you what do you think are there uh just to just to turn the question around on you what do you what do you think are, are some good names and and what's out there that's really cool yeah uh that's fair i you know and i i appreciate that question because like you know we encounter a lot of brands a lot of names and i i feel like there are uh you know you mentioned like you know breweries uh there's uh you know obviously big you know kind of brewery now but stone there's something about it that i feel like is so simple concrete and uh and just wow you know obviously it's 
solid. You know, it's a solid, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, no pun intended there. But really, honestly, I, I, I love the name of Stone Brewing. And it's really just, you know, simple. Not that it's, you know, got to be complicated or super, you know, interesting. It's just the fact that it hits. <laughs> totally. Yeah, those guys know how to name. I mean, um, one of my favorite naming examples of, of a name that's like super brave is, is Arrogant Bastard, right? I think Stone makes that. Yeah, uh-huh. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. It's, it's an insane thing to name a product, right? That you'd assume that naming your beer arrogant bastard is going to destroy sales, right? Because you're, you're losing all these people who are offended by your language, but the opposite is true, right? The name actually helps. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's helped them sell a ton. No, I think, I think stone's a great example. And it's, there's this, uh, this idea that I've been talking to clients a lot about lately, um, which is this, uh, map territory relation. And this is, this is super, super nerdy naming stuff, but, um, you talked about stone feeling really solid, right? And I think for a brewery that that might be desirable, right? But obviously for a beer, do you want your beer name to sound really solid? Is that good, right? Like we probably the the connotations you want someone to carry away are probably smoothness and flavor, and there are all these things that we think we we might want to get out of a beer, and yet like most of the best beers have nothing to do with that, right? And so like some clients when you get into naming with them will confuse the map for the territory. This is a map territory relation. So like um, the territory is the thing you're naming and, and the map is the name itself, right? And so if the thing we're naming has to be like a beer, like smooth and tasty and all these things, the name doesn't have to be, doesn't have to communicate smoothness or taste or anything like that. But people's instinct is always to make those things kind of matchy matchy. And that's, that's where you get a lot of really, really tough names is that um, people are like, oh, every characteristic of my name has to match every characteristic of my my brand. When in reality, the unless you're selling food uh, and, a, and a couple of other really small exceptions, there's really no reason to do that. Yeah, it's cool. That's that's an, a nice rule to to kind of think about, or at least you know, it's kind of like a boundary. Uh, because I, I feel like, yeah, it, I'm sure you run into this, but people are always trying to make, you know, the name that is all encompassing or that it's got to like, oh, it's got to have all these tenets to it. You're like, oh, you're maybe applying too much thought to it. <laughs> you know, totally. Like, totally. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you've encountered that before. Uh, so, um, you know, this is, you know, very interesting work to potentially find uh, as like, you know, people aren't naming things every day. I mean, like, well, I guess they are in a certain sense. Uh, some are named after <laughs> literally just people, you know, family names or, you know, wh whatever that may be. But like, how, how do you find your work? Like, is this something that you're actively out there, you know, kind of, or do people find you because of, you know, who you are and what you've done before? Yeah, um, this is probably the closest thing that I'll do to, to marketing, right? Um, I... I, I do almost nothing. I have a website that I that I touch for an hour or so every few months, and um, otherwise, people find me. I think um, the place where I've been really fortunate, and the place where a lot of my leads come from, is actually LinkedIn for whatever reason. Um, I think a lot of people who have a great pipeline, you know, have control over one platform or another, and and for whatever reason, LinkedIn seems to have been mine. Um, so that that's really great. Um, you type in naming, and I think I'm one of the first people who pops up now, which is. Which is awesome. I mean, you know all about the value of of search and um, being being findable. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's all recommendation based, and and it's something that made business pretty terrifying at the beginning because without doing marketing and not having anyone to to really recommend you, right? When I set it on my own, I I would there I would go weeks without hearing from anyone, months sometimes even. It's super terrifying. But um, I just try to do 
the best work I possibly can for everyone who comes through my door. And I try to, you know, have people leave happy. Um, and when that happens, they tend to, they tend to recommend you. And, and I've been lucky to, to keep getting steadily busier and busier over time uh, to finally uh, get to a point where I can, can start saying no to people. It's, it's, it's nice for me sometimes, but it's still really hard for sure. Yeah, and that's great. It's great that you've been able to, you know, have this success and the notoriety. Um, and that that does actually lead into the next question, you know, um, pretty well, which is, um, you know, it is obviously you're doing this on your own. And, uh, and, and certainly, you know, helping people with naming, um, you know, but, you know, who are some other uh, companies, agencies that are within this space um, that, you know, are, are kind of your, you know, peers uh, or, or, you know, obviously the, the big players in this game. So, you know, and, and why are they potentially revered too? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is such a cool question. Um, the, the lay of the naming land is, is pretty interesting to me. I mean, there are, there are dozens of us, you know, there are so many, so many of us out there naming. Um, the, the big brand to know about and the one that, that a lot of people think of when they think of naming is, is Lexicon. They're, uh, they're not huge. Um, I think they have um, between a dozen and, and two dozen employees. Um, they, their office is right on the water in Sausalito, California, on the, the north side of the, the, the Golden Gate Bridge. It's, it's such a cool place. Um, and um, their founder, David Plajic, has been around. Classic, I always forget how to say his name. But he's, he's been around for so long. Um, so that's, that's part of why he's the incumbent, I think, is that he's, he's been calling himself a naming person and, and doing naming alone for, for a while. But also there was this 2011 New Yorker article on, on Lexicon and how it is that they go about creating names. For, like what's really, really cool about them is that they focused on naming alone rather than things like naming architecture or naming systems. Um, and so the creative tends to be really, really great. They've created names like Blackberry and Pentium and, and Swiffer. And one of my most recent favorites, Impossible Foods, which I think is just such a cool name. Um, and yeah, I think they're able to do that because of the focus on creative and um, those other kinds of projects like naming architecture and um, brand strategy and, and things around naming um, are something that brand consultancies do. So that's like, I would call the, the, these people kind of like the second tier of, of naming. Um, they, these are the people who, who service a lot of the Fortune 500. Um, there are places like Lippincott, uh, Wolf Allens, Siegel and Gale, Interbrand, Landor. For all of them, like naming, naming is just one thing on a long list of things that they do. Um, which usually extends to like design and innovation and, um, and other brand strategy stuff. There's it's such an interesting landscape right now from a business perspective. Like we could totally talk about the intersection of business consulting, digital consulting, and branding consulting, and how those things are all sort of morphing into each other and out of each other right now. But um, yeah, those are the those are the names to know. I think in in terms of uh, big brand consultancies, and then you have smaller shops, right? Um, once you start getting into groups of like three or four people that are just focused on naming or, or maybe five or six, there's the place that I started out, 100 Monkeys, who are just awesome. They have such a particular aesthetic um, that they're really committed to. Um, the The guy who who runs the shop there and, and the guy who I'd considered to be my mentor in naming, Eli Altman, has, has really strong preferences and really solid taste when it comes to names. So like I was talking earlier about how I sometimes calibrate the names that I present to the client that I'm showing. And I think that's something they do a lot less of than other places do. And as a result, the names that come out of there are super cool. Um, you should definitely check out their website and see 
um, some of the work that they've been up to lately, but 100 Monkeys is a great small one. And then, and what's crazy is right in that little corner of South Berkeley, near where the 100 Monkeys office is in California, there are like, I think five or six naming shops, like naming only shops within like four blocks. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's nuts there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's in the water that, that makes everyone, uh, makes everyone go there, but, uh, it's a, it's an, it was an incre incredible place to work. Um, and I think probably tech is, is the reason that there's such a hub there, but someday I can imagine that, uh, if I ever grow this thing beyond just me, we might, we might have to get a lease on a building out in South Berkeley. Yeah. You gotta, gotta go back, uh, <laughs> right. from where, yeah, where it all started. Uh, I, I have to say that, you know, just in, in response to, uh, that, that name of the naming agency being lexicon. Yeah. Just, yeah. Baller. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. Could, could yeah, it's, have picked a better one. Yeah. It's, it's a great example of the kind of name that you can get if you're early. Right. Like I, th I think impossible foods is another thing where, right. Where these sort of like meat analog products, like everyone who comes after them is going to be wishing that they could have been impossible foods. And, and a lot of the names are going to be sort of copycat names of that, but yeah, the ability to like be one, one metaphorical leap away from the thing that you do is, is awesome. And it's really only possible if you're earlier, if you're like me in a very small industry, right? Like, TBD is pretty, pretty related to naming. Um, and if there were a thousand people who did naming, someone would have already taken it for sure. Yeah. Huh. I, you know, you touched on impossible foods and obviously, you know, they have been, you know, probably the biggest standout brand wise in terms of, you know, the, the meat analog companies that, yeah. you know, that are out there and, you know, how much, uh, you know, of, of maybe a brand success, uh, do you think is even attributed to a name? I know that's loaded, but you know. Yeah, no, it's a huge question, right? Like, does name actually matter? It's something I hear a lot from folks. And um, the answer that I give is that it's, it really doesn't for most of the, for 99% of the time until it really does. And most of the time when names matter, it's because they're, they're hurting the business, not because they're, they're measurably helping. It's really, you can't like create two companies and AB test this, right? You can't have two identical companies doing the same motions um, in, this, in the same industry with two different names. So it's really hard to know how much naming has to do with success unless it's holding you back. Mm -hmm. And that's that's where clients get in trouble. That's unfortunately where probably half of my work comes from. And it's usually folks who name descriptively. So they, they name their business for what it is or does. And then they either, in the best case scenario, outgrow that description. And so their name is only talking about a little part of what they do or um, they, they just pivot completely. And, and then, yeah, they're, they're named after something they aren't like um, I saw a really great yoga studio in uh, on a, on a trip to Portland recently that was named after the street that it was on. But, you know, it was like, I don't know, it was like Folsom street yoga or something like that, but it was not on that street anymore. Um, and they had a, they had a sign explaining why their name was, was wrong. It was pretty great. Yeah. I, I I do uh, that. I'm glad they added the context to it because sometimes that really does get me. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. you're you're not here. You're not in that area or that city. Something that's like named after a township that they were previously in. Uh, but that is yep. that's really interesting. Uh, I you know as as you you know kind of talk about you know, like yeah the the success or you know uh, or something that might be hurting you uh, about you know having a certain name. Um, is there any way that you can apply, you know, characteristics to a good name? Like, you know, really what, what makes a good name? Yeah, I think people 
a lot of people have ideas about what a, what a great name looks like, right? I think if you asked 100 people, 99 of them would tell you that a good name is probably shorter, that a good name is easy to read, write, and, and spell, um, and pronounce, that um, that it doesn't hold your business back, right? There's there's a long list of stuff that that people think, but um, yeah, it's it's kind of a cop out answer, but I have to say it's hugely dependent, right? Like arrogant bastard is a great name for a beer. It would not be a very good name for my business, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what what a good name looks like? Uh, probably something that sets you apart in your industry, no matter what. If you uh, Eli Eli my old boss used to say, if you use your name to to fit in, you'll be spending your marketing budget to stand out. So use your name to stand out and uh, use everything else to tell people what it is that you're doing. Um, that's that's the biggest thing that a name can do for you is differentiate you for free, which is really nice. Really powerful. Yeah, no, that, that's that's uh, a really cool way of thinking about it. Um, you know, as people are, you know, basically, you know, they could be in a position of coming up with a brand or coming up with like, you know, a product and, uh, and, and then, or changing, you know, a name within an organization, uh, you know, like maybe they're rebranding or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can be helpful to kind of galvanize support, you know, for that name and, uh, and really make sure that, you know, kind of people are latching onto it. Um, is there any sort of advice that you can give for, um getting that kind of support or building that support around a name once it's created sure yeah that's a great great question so um how do you involve if i had to boil down the question it's like how do you involve your organization in the naming process Mm -hmm. um and the worst way to do it in my opinion is to do what um what a spinoff of Kraft foods did about 10 years ago and that's to solicit recommendations from your thousands of employees across the globe. And then, you know, take those recommendations into a committee of a, a dozen a dozen uh, board members and, and have them pick the name. Um, that's how you end up with, with a name like theirs, which is Mondelez. Yeah. Um, they're one yeah. of the biggest, biggest companies in the world. And yeah, they have a painfully bad name. Um, so it, that's, it, that's almost pro- like a craft single of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Mon- Monda cheese. yeah 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 it's, it's it's quite the name i think yeah you 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 want to involve everyone right and if you ask a consultant at bain they'd say you should make a, a, a racy chart right who's responsible who's accountable who's consulted and who's informed i think you got to tell people you're going to change the name early you should let them know that it's going to happen um that that gets the wheels going in, in their heads and it also makes you accountable for actually changing the name. So the first thing to do is to make sure you decide that you're going to do it and, and, and commit to that in front of everybody. Um, from there, you want to you have as few people involved in the naming process as possible. And you want those people to be as representative of your target audience as possible. Um, if you're you know, in, in a situation like one of my clients right now where you're, you're trying to create a name that really attracts tech talent, but you're having your executive team pick the name, what are the odds that a room full of 60 year olds is going to pick a name that really appeals to a world full of 25 year olds? Pretty low, I'd imagine, right? And so you want to set yourself up for success that way. Um, you want to yeah, make sure you're, you're kind of representative of your audience. But yeah, fewer people is always better, right? Imagine you have to get a pizza for everyone who's picking the name, right? Everyone has to agree on, pretend the names are the toppings, right? You have to agree. Everyone has to pick the same ones. If you have like two or three people in the room, you could probably get like a Hawaiian pizza if you're into that kind of thing, or, or like a meat lovers or a veggie lovers or something like that. But then as soon as you have even six, seven people, you're gonna have to get a cheese pizza. 
you just do right <laughs> no one's going to agree on the toppings and um if you get a lot of people in a room and you try to get those people to agree on a name you're going to get a cheese name you really want a name like like i said earlier that's like differentiated that feels special and that's that's got to have some interesting toppings you know it's got to be anchovy or olive or something like that so um, yeah yeah so let's see how do i boil that rant down um tell everybody involve everybody um in that way um let them know it's coming and then in the room the people who are going to decide make it as make it the, the lowest number possible and involve involve people who are representative of who you're naming for that's great that's that's cool i i feel like that's <laughs> some of the best advice uh and and especially you know the anecdote about you know uh getting a cheese pizza out of it i it's so true you know uh, as you build um you know theoretically I, I think people's you know intentions are probably good building a committee of people that you know they really totally. want everybody's buy-in and stuff but you know it, it's it's reductive because yeah if you're trying to please everybody it's it's super hard to do that uh with you know really interesting or quote unquote spicy things and you can always interview those people too you can always have that you know as part of like the information gathering part of naming you can get everyone's opinion on what the name needs to do and and take that into account you could even go as far as asking people what they think of the names um and you can get their input on that but when it comes to decision making when it comes to that 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 final uh step you really yeah you should the room should not be full of people great awesome um I assume that over the years, uh, naming has, you know, uh, has changed and definitely, you know, th this comes down to like, you know, where people are drawing inspiration from, um, definitely the types of things that are being named, but, um, what do you see on the horizon? I mean, like, obviously we're, we're in a changed world, uh, uh, and definitely a landscape that continues to change. I mean, like even the pandemic shifted, you know, a lot of, uh, people's interactions obviously a lot more digitally i mean like so anyway I, I, as we continue to see obviously our world evolve yeah where where does naming go from here yeah man this is such a cool question it's definitely my favorite one of all that you've asked so far um i think to talk about the 2020s i have to at least mention like the 1870s and 1880s you mentioned earlier that you know there are a lot of brands that are just named after people and that's one of two groups of brands that really existed back then right like when trademarks first came around in the us you had mostly brands that were named after their founders or brands that were named just for what they provided right like it does it it, it is what it says on the label and that was the original meaning of brand even right like a, a cattle brand would be the owner of the cattle's name just like stamps on on a cat on a cow right so back then what we thought of as a name was just those two things and so if you were to go back in time and name your company meta um people would think you were absolutely insane and it wouldn't even register as a name to them right and so like the idea of what a name can even be or look like has evolved so much over time um so that by the 2010s we get things like um blankly like calendly and every other startup that ended in .ly because it was an available URL. Um, and you start to see trends like that, where it's like, okay, once one person does it, it registers as a name for folks. And then you kind of have permission to go and create names that are like that, or like um, they're the super simple Silicon Valley names of last decade too, right? Like box um, and square, right? These really iconic shapes. Those are, those names are pretty much gone now too, because it was, 
recognized as a trend and the availability of them fell. And so we're, we're over that mountain now. I think, um, man, the, the thing that really excites me about naming in this decade is names that are like impossible foods um, that are using an adjective in front of their noun. So impossible foods is great because if you want to expand beyond foods, you just drop the foods and you have impossible blank. You could have impossible cars, although that's probably not going to happen. Um, and, and that's the way like the patent and trademark office actually treats trademarks. Every trademark for them is an adjective. So you don't buy, you're not actually supposed to be buying Kleenex. You're supposed to be buying a Kleenex tissue. I have clients all the time. They're like, oh, we want to be like Kleenex. We want our name to be synonymous with our product. And I'm like, well, if the, if the USPTO finds that out, then you won't have a trademark anymore. So you might be in trouble. But, uh, but yeah, so adjectives are what really excites me about this decade. I think there's so many cool names out there that are adjectives. And because brands like Meta, which is also an adjective, and Impossible are sort of on the vanguard there and, and creating the idea that an adjective can be a brand name, um, you're going to see a lot more people doing that uh, this decade. And, and man, they are, there are some really, really cool names out there that, that are adjectives. So that's, that's what's interesting to me. I mean, we talked about differentiation earlier. And if you go, you can go look at a list of the Fortune 100. If you're a huge nerd, maybe Fortune 500. And you won't find any brands that are straight up adjectives at all, right? There's some that are, um, that have adjectives in their name, like Best Buy or American Express or General Dynamics, but they're not just the adjective. And I think um, if, if brands really want to automatically differentiate as they grow, that's such a cool way to do it. That's cool. That's awesome. Uh, I, you know, Tyler, uh, I know we've gotten a chance to, you know, discuss marketing stuff before branding stuff, but honestly, this is really, really cool and very, very neat to hear your insights on naming because obviously it's the core of what you do. And, uh, anyway, and I, I feel like there's also a lot of value too in like understanding, you know, the field a little bit more. Um, it is, you know, it, I, I know you did mention that, you know, maybe it doesn't matter to a certain degree of what your brand <laughs> name is, but it can matter at a point in time. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it is, it's, you know, very important sometimes, uh, in, you know, in my opinion, or through what, you know, we've seen to, you know, um, people's ability to latch on to something or, you know, really have love for something, you know, and yeah. I, I feel like, you know, names can definitely, you know, do that. So anyway, I find what you do very, very compelling and very cool. And I really appreciate you sharing all this stuff. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, I, I really love what I do, too. And I feel really lucky to be able to, to do it as a job most of the time when I when I tell people that I'm a naming consultant, I have to explain. And sometimes people just straight up don't believe me that that's my job. But yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, definitely. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, this has been another episode of Mix and Matchbox. Uh, definitely, we'll be back soon with more content. Thanks.